The reading is Ephesians, verse 14 to end. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of, sorry, of his glory, and he may grant you the strength, and to be strengthened with power through his spirit, in which the inner begin, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that is the breadth and width, length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that suppresses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the faithfulness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 to 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Now this passage from Ephesians 3 is a prayer of Paul's. And C.S. Lewis once said, for most of us the prayer in Gethsemane is the only model. Removing mountains can wait. Prayer. Prayer is something we should all do. Prayer is about living in relationship with God. And prayer is the means by which we communicate with God. But as C.S. Lewis said, we often only pray when we find ourselves in desperate situations, when we want something bad to stop, when we're in desperate situations and we can't cope any longer. And when we pray only in difficult times, we miss out on the power of prayer. We should be able to pray and mountains should move. We should know that God can do anything in and through us, but for that to happen, for mountains to move, we need to be in a living relationship with him. The kind of relationship that Paul had. Because Paul was a man who prayed. He prayed a lot. For Paul, praying was just like breathing. It's something that you do, something that's essential, something that keeps you going from day to day. And this passage from Ephesians 3 
He's praying for the Christians at Ephesus. He's praying not only that they'd find strength through Jesus, but that he would live in their hearts and that they would know, truly know, the difference of living in relationship with him can make to their lives. And that relationship for them then and for us now is based on prayer. If I was to ask you all how often you pray, I'm sure there'd be a varying uh, different answers. Some people find it difficult to pray. And I dare say, if we're honest, we all do from time to time. But prayer is essential. And this prayer has been called the prayer for the impossible. It's a prayer for power to live the Christian life. And the first thing that Paul prays for with that in mind is that God might strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. He asked God for one thing only, that the Ephesians might be strengthened by the Holy Spirit inside of them so that they can fulfill God's will for them. It's a prayer for something that most of us need every day, and that is spiritual strength. Often we try and rely on our own strength to get us through things when we should be relying on God's strength in us and working through us to face the situations of every day. It's God's strength in us that gives us the power to overcome despair, gives us the power to rise above anger, gives us the power to keep us going when we'd rather quit, and so on. And it's an interesting thing to pray for, really, and I say that because most of us pray for bad things to stop or for things that we want to change, rather than praying for inner strength to face whatever comes. And inner strength is something that we all need. None of us find ourselves in a situation where we no longer need God's power at work in us. No matter where we find ourselves, we're only human, and we're all desperately in need of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us from within. And when we recognise that, we too should be able to pray with Paul, not that he would take away our burdens, but he'd enable us to carry the load. We simply pray for the spiritual strength to do the work that God would have us do. And as we're strengthened by the Spirit working in us, certain things will happen as a result. The first of which is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The prayer is that Christ will find a home in our hearts, that we might be more and more connected with him. And I guess it's not a case of how much of him we have living in us, but how much of ourselves we allow him to have, how much of us he has, how much of ourselves we choose to hand over to him. It's about totally surrendering ourselves to him, totally dedicating ourselves and allowing him to dwell in our hearts completely. And when we're strengthened within by the Holy Spirit, when we let him have total control over our hearts, that is what we're aiming for. Another thing is that in Paul's prayer that we'll have a growing understanding of the love of Christ and we'll truly grasp what it means to be loved by God. I wonder, do we truly grasp what it means to be loved by God? At the same time, we're told that this love surpasses all knowledge, so how can we truly grasp something that is beyond our knowledge? Well, Paul's talking about understanding, about grasping more and more as much as we can of God's love. We're never going to have enough knowledge to fully understand everything there is to understand of his love. It's too much for us to fathom, 
too much for us to really get a handle of. We can't ever really grasp the love that led him to become one of us, to take on our sin, to die in our place and to rise again for us. We can't ever really properly get it. And so we've got room to grow in this. And we can all deepen our experience of his love at work within us. There's always more for us to discover. During the Great Depression, a man called Mr. Yates owned a huge piece of land in Texas where he used it to raise sheep. Financial problems brought him to the brink of bankruptcy. And an oil company, believing that there might be some oil on his land, asked him if they'd let him dig, if he'd let them dig even. With nothing to lose, Mr. Yates agreed, and soon at a shallow depth, the workmen struck the largest oil deposit found at that time in North America. Overnight, he became a billionaire. The amazing thing, though, is that the untapped riches were there all along. He just didn't know it. So the question is, are you a spiritual Mr. Yates who's unaware of the riches you already have in Christ? When Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he revealed his hidden treasure in his preaching, the unsearchable riches of Christ. His goal was to make all Christians see how wealthy they actually were. But Paul prayed that believers might recognise and use their spiritual wealth, that they be strengthened from within, that they be established in love, powerful in prayer and filled with God himself. Paul's telling us that through Jesus we have everything that we're ever going to need, but we can't ever truly grasp how much God loves every single one of us. Having something and knowing we have it and truly grasping the enormity of something are two different things. We have in Jesus every spiritual blessing we could ever need, and it's up to us what we do with that. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul prays that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the whole goal of the Christian life, to be filled with God. What we're filled with massively affects the whole of our lives, if we're filled with anger, then our lives will show and display anger. If we're filled with bitterness, our lives will show bitterness. If we're filled with joy, our lives will show joy. And if we're filled with love and if we're filled with God's love, then our lives will show God's love. And when we allow God to fill us, then our lives will show God at work in us. And it's him that will direct our lives. And it's that being filled with the fullness of God that we should want. You see, God wants to pour his life into ours until we're full. And we need to be open to him and open ourselves up to that so that he can come and live in us and work in us. So the first part of Paul's prayer is about God and all that he's given to us in Jesus. It's about how much he loves us and how he wants to strengthen us and give us the power through his Holy Spirit to live the lives that he wants us to live. And the next part is about how that happens. And it all comes down to one very simple thing. It's not about you, it's about God. It's not up to us to do anything, it is up to God. God who is able. Verses 20 to 21, verse 20 being possibly one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible, says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, I'm into that because that's amazing. God can do immeasurably more than we ever ask. And if we think through our own lives, I'm sure there are situations where we have all actually experienced that. Our verse 20 in the New King James Version says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Both versions make it clear that prayer can be answered because God is able to answer it. Paul doesn't say, all being well, this will happen, or, you know, with a bit of luck, it might work out, or let's hope for the best. Instead, God is simply able to do the things that Paul has asked. We know that we can't do much on our own, and it's this verse that tells us that God is able to do whatever it takes to fulfil his plans for our lives. John Stock points out that there are seven stages to this great statement by the Apostle Paul. First, he is able to do, because he's not idle or inactive or dead. He can do what we ask, for he hears us when we pray. He can do what we think, for he knows what we think before we think it ourselves. He can do all we ask or think, because he knows it all and can do it all. Five, he can do more than we ask or think, because his plans are bigger than our plans. Six, he can do much more than we ask because there's no holding back with God. And seven, he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can imagine because he's the God of the superlative. Let's think about that phrase, exceedingly abundantly. It sounds like the same thing is kind of being said twice, but it just emphasises how limitless God's power actually is. It tells us, that God is able to do infinitely more than we can ever measure, beyond all human measurement. It's one thing to do what someone asks you to do. It's another thing to go beyond what they ask you to do, but quite another to go infinitely beyond what you're asked to do. God is able to do so much more than we're capable of measuring, so much more than we're capable of imagining. It can't be measured. It's so great that it can't even be imagined. This verse is teaching us the exceeding, abundant, immeasurable, infinite, infinite ability of God. There are no limits to what God can do. We can't even imagine what God can do. His power is so vast, so immense, so great that we don't even know what we don't know God can do. Because God can do anything, far more than we can pray. And thankfully, our limited hopes and dreams and imagination can't limit what God can do. God can do so much more because he is not limited by our human limitations. He's not limited by our lack of understanding of who he is, thankfully. He's not limited by how small our prayers are or by how tiny our imaginations are. So if God can do absolutely anything, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a church? And what does that mean for us as individuals? Well, I reckon it tells us that God can do more with us as a church and as individuals than we have yet asked, thought, imagined or dreamed. But we limit ourselves. It's 
a human thing to do. We all do it. But in doing that, we limit God. After physicist Richard Feynman won a Nobel Prize for his work, he visited an old high school, his old high school. Whilst he was there, he decided to look up his records and he was surprised to find out that his grades were not as good as he remembered them to be. And he got a kick out of the fact that his IQ was 124, not much above average. Dr. Feynman saw that winning a Nobel Prize was one thing, but to win with an IQ of only 124 was really something. Most of us would agree because we all assume that winners of Nobel Prizes have exceptionally high IQs. Feynman confided that he always assumed that he had. If he'd have known that he was really only just a little bit above average in the IQ department, the question is, would he have had the audacity to launch the unique and creative research experiments that would eventually win him the greatest recognition the scientific community can have? Perhaps not. Maybe the knowledge that he was a cut above average, but not in the genius category, would have influenced what he tried to achieve. After all, from childhood, most of us have been led to believe that ordinary people don't accomplish extraordinary feats. And the thing that we need to remember is that actually, nothing depends on our ability, but wholly on God's. And God can do more than ever than anything we hope or imagine or dream. God can do more. God always wants to do more. God wants to take the biggest of our dreams and say, you know what, I can do better than that. So I want you to spend a moment imagining the difference that we could make as a church to those around us. I want you to imagine with the best of your imagination the difference Brighton Road Baptist Church could make to Horsham. And even I'm limiting it there because we shouldn't limit it to Horsham, right? But imagine, dream about what God can do in and through us and the difference that he could make if we were wholly his. And then remember, he can do more. He can do way more. And if God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine, and if we truly grasped that, if we truly believed that he could take our little efforts and make it into something wonderful, if we fully grasped how much he loved us and wanted to fill the whole of our lives, then I think we wouldn't be so afraid to step out in faith for him. If we grasp even part of that truth that we find in the passage, then surely we'd have the confidence in God to step out of our comfort zones and into the realms of impossibility. Because nothing is impossible with God, nothing at all. And personally, when you're feeling a bit rubbish, when you're feeling weary or weak, remember that when we ask God to strengthen our inner selves, then he will answer us. And when he answers that prayer, we need to also ask that he will be at home in our hearts, that we will fully, more fully understand the love that he has for us, and that we will be filled with God in our lives. All too often in life, we focus on the problems. We focus on our own weaknesses, and instead we should focus on God. If we focus on the problems, if we focus on the difficult things in life, then we'll become discouraged and just everything will be frustrating. But when we focus on God and his ability 
and his unlimited power, we can find faith despite our difficult circumstances. The only thing we need to do is pray. God wants us to pray. He invites us to pray. He waits for us to call upon him. He's able to hear us and he is able to answer us. If we do our part, God cannot fail to do his. But as much as God can and will use us to make a difference for him, whatever our dreams are, let's remember the true goal that Paul mentioned here when he said, for this reason, the reason we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, the reason for it all is for one purpose, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you might know the love of Christ and that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Our highest goal in life is not to achieve great things in God's name, as valid as that is. Our true goal is for him to dwell in our hearts and for us to know his love. And only then when we have Christ dwelling in us, which is our ultimate goal, that those other things will naturally follow. Focus on letting God take control of every part of your life, wholly, unreservedly, and remember that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that your power is so much more than anything we can ever imagine or hope or dream of. We ask that you will fill our hearts and that our go- your goals will become our goals and that we will let you totally, completely direct our lives. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus, and we thank you that you loved us so much to do that. Help us to remember that, and to live as if if we really, really know that. Amen.